turn to the book of Galatians this morning as we, as we continue on in, in chapter 3. And uh, I'm being so challenged by, by walking through and trying to hear the heartbeat of what Paul was saying. Diana, she looks so comfortable. Um, you know, it's, it's, com- it's a commonly held thought, I would say, in most cultures. Um, a commonly held thought that there is a God and that there is a distance between man and God. Would you agree with me? There's a God and there's a distance between man and God. There's a gap that's there. Um, And there are several varying theories of how um, that gap can be filled, bridged, or how a person can reconnect or connect to God. Two of the basic views, though, are we are made right through a trust or faith in Christ. The other one says that I can do something. I can do something to bridge that gap. Two major thoughts. God has to do something, or either I can do something. Belief in salvation by works is basically this. It says that I know that there is a gap. I know that there is a distance, but I can do something to close that gap. My religious activity, my goodness, how I treat other people, my morality... By being good, I can do something to make myself right with God. I know that the relationship with God is broken, but I can do something to make myself right with God. The assumption is that I can bridge the gap because of my efforts, because of my works, because of my abilities. The flip side of that is salvation by faith. It says that it's not by my works, but it's by my trust, it's by my faith, it's not by my goodness, but it's because of God's goodness that that gap can be filled. It's not because of what I do, but it's because of what God did. It's not because of my abilities, but it's because of what Jesus did on the cross. Two thought processes. I can do something. God has to do something. And that tension has always existed, always existed. There was a guy by the name of Saul. He had a life-changing experience on a road to Damascus. He was a persecutor of believers. And you, we've been telling the story. His life was radically changed. As a result of that, he went from persecuting believers to talking to people about Jesus because of what he had personally Experienced. I love this thing as it just continues to draw. It's, it's, it falls down every time I pick it back up. <laughs> you notice it just sort of like the slow fade. Um, but anyway, Paul would eventually be his name. And Paul would eventually be sent out from the church of Antioch to preach the gospel, to preach the good news, to talk to people that salvation only was through faith in Jesus Christ, that it wasn't through works. It wasn't through good deeds. Brian, our stuff is falling apart here. Oh, is that the good one? Oh, that one stands up there fine now. There we go. We're in good shape, Gail. Thank you. 
Um, they had gone out. They had preached the good news into an area by the name of Galatia. They had been sent out by the church at Antioch. Uh, and after being there for a while, many people had come to know Christ. They had been in a relationship with Christ. Churches were formed, gatherings, people gathered together. And after Paul had left, there was a group of people named the Judaizers that followed them. And they came in behind Paul, and this is what they said. Salvation through Jesus, yes, but there's more to the story. It's not just salvation by faith in Jesus because of what he did, but there's more to the story. You have to become Jewish to become saved. And Paul knew that he was in a battle, and he knew that he had to deal with this, and so that is one of the reasons that he writes this book of Galatians to those there in the churches at Galatia. And what we've done over the past several weeks is we've sort of brought us up to the point Paul has talked about his apostleship and how he got to the place and how he was able to speak with the authority that he spoke with on what basis he spoke. And today we're going to look at, at really he gets down into the meat of things here in chapter 3. And what he's going to do is Paul is going to bring about three witnesses and he's going to bring them to the, to the witness stand to testify He's going to bring them to the witness stand to testify that it's only through faith in Jesus Christ that a person is saved. And the three witnesses he's going to bring to the witness stand are the Holy Spirit, Abraham, and Moses, or what we would consider to be the law of Moses. And the question that I want you to ask yourself today is this, what is it that makes us right with God? What do you believe? Do you say just salvation by faith? Do you say that and do you live salvation by works? What is it do you really believe? But I want you to read with me here in Galatians chapter 3 as we take God's word and we, and we delve into it today. Um, the first witness that he brings to the stand, the Holy Spirit. And let's, let's read here at, at verse 1 in chapter 3 in the book of Galatians. He says, O foolish Galatians, who has cast an evil spell on you? For the meaning of Jesus' death was made clear to you as if you had seen a picture of his death on the cross. Let me ask you this one question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit by obeying the law of Moses? Of course not. You received the Spirit because you believed the message that you heard about Christ. Verse 3, how foolish can you be? After starting your Christian lives in the Spirit, why are you now trying to become perfect by your own human efforts. Have you experienced so much for nothing? Surely it was not in vain, was it? I ask you again, does God give you the Holy Spirit and work miracles among you because you obey the law? Of course not. But it's because you believe the message that you've heard about Christ. You know, it's funny how Paul starts this. He starts this by a really encouraging word. Do you foolish Galatians? He really gets their attention. And in the Greek, that word foolish means uh, you senseless one, the one not applying the mind. You have been duped. Somebody's fooled you. And he goes on to say, who in the world has cast a spell on you? Who's bewitched you is what some of the other translations say. Baskino, who's charmed you? Who's led you astray? And Paul said, listen, I told you the truth of salvation was through faith in Christ when I was with you. And I made it so clear as that I painted a picture so that you would be able to see it up on the wall. But how in the world could you have missed that? How could you have missed it, you foolish Galatians? You know what? And I thought there's such a warning here for us because the Galatians had come to Christ through faith because of Paul's testimony and because of what he had taught them. And I thought, how many people come to Christ 
just like the Galatians, through faith. And all of a sudden, they get started off well. And then they read something in another book. Somebody tells them another story. And all of a sudden, they begin to stray. And they walk away from the truth. And I was reminded it's so important for us to be constantly on guard um, if what we let into our minds and what we read and what we, what we listen to, because you know what Satan does? This is what he does. He wants to distract us. He wants to discourage us because he wants to destroy us. And the truth at this point, if you move it a little bit, a little bit to the right, over a period of time, he gets further and further and further away. And Paul is writing back to him and saying, what in the world are you thinking? What are you thinking? And he goes on to tell them something that says like this, when you received the Holy Spirit in verse 2, was it because you had obeyed the rules and been good? Or did it happen when you heard the truth and you put your faith in Christ? When was it that you received the Holy Spirit? You received the Holy Spirit when you trusted Jesus. Did you get the Spirit through doing? Or did you get the Spirit through believing? And this is what he says in Ephesians chapter 1 as he, worked to the, as he wrote to the church at Ephesus. Paul says, And now you Gentiles have also heard the truth, the good news that God saves you. And when you believed in Christ, He identified you as His own by giving you the Holy Spirit whom He promised a long time ago. We get the Holy Spirit when we believe the truth about Christ. And Paul uses this rhetorical question, and it would be something like this. Does one plus one equal three? And your response would be, no, of course not. Of course not. Does one plus one equal three? Of course not. And he's saying, did you receive the Holy Spirit because you cleaned yourself up? Did you receive the Holy Spirit because you made some good decisions? Did you receive the Holy Spirit because you earned it? He said, no, no. You received the Holy Spirit because you recognized your sin and you cried out to God in your brokenness and you believed the message that you were told about Christ. No, you didn't earn the Holy Spirit. You didn't work your way in that direction. You know, in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit came to earth and empowered men to do great things. And in 1 Peter chapter, or 2 Peter chapter 1, it says, No prophecy in Scripture ever came from a prophet's own understanding or human initiative. No, the prophets were moved by the Holy Spirit and they spoke from God and men did great things through the power of the Holy Spirit. The Bible spoke. It says that the Spirit came on Moses and Joshua and other ones in the, in the Old Testament. And the power didn't come on these men or these ladies as a result of something that they did, but the Holy Spirit came and went as, as it pleased. But see, in the New Testament, things came. It changed. Because the Holy Spirit came and was provided by Jesus after He left the earth. Um, we've talked about this before, but after Jesus ascended into heaven, the Bible tells us that Jesus said, I'm not going to leave you alone, guys. Listen, I'm not going to leave you alone, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to send you a comforter. Go back and read John chapter 14 and read that, Steve. And He says, I'm going to send you a guide, and I'm going to send you one that will teach you. And the Holy Spirit won't come because you pray, and He won't come because you're active and doing religious things, but the Holy Spirit will come and He will dwell within you when you believe the message of Jesus. And the same is true for us today, that when you believe the message of Christ and when you trust Christ, the Holy Spirit comes into your heart. 
It's not because you do, of any, do anything, but it comes by believing by faith. And in verse 3, Paul says again, how in the world can you be so foolish? How can you be so foolish? After starting your Christian lives in the Spirit, why are you now trying to become perfect or complete? Um, why are you trying to be mature by your own efforts? Are you at that place in your life? Were you trying to, to become mature by your own efforts? You ever been at that place where you try to do so much to move yourself in that direction? Uh, and here he is saying that you started off your life in Christ by faith, and now you're trying to become a better follower of Christ by your own strength and your own initiative. And he says, it's not going to work. Why are you trying to do that? Why are you trying to do that? In verse 4, have you experienced so much for nothing? Surely it was not in vain, was it? The word experience can also be translated suffered. And you know, um, one of the things that we learn is that the area that Paul was writing back to that area of Galatia is the same place that Paul himself had been stoned and left for dead. And it is, it is definite that um, some of that same persecution was beginning to seep into the areas of these churches. And I can imagine the persecution that was taking place. Um, for some of them, it might have been abandonment. Here they would come to know Christ. They would place their faith in Christ and would be abandoned by family. Anybody in here ever been abandoned by your family because of your faith in Christ? It could have been a loss of income. Loss of income. A believer. Loss of income now. And it's difficult for us to understand this type of persecution because we just don't experience. But I read, I read something over the past several weeks, and I think this statistic is, um, is pretty close. Um, 210,000 people will die around the world this year as a result of their faith in Christ. 210,000 people will be persecuted and die as a result of their faith in Jesus Christ around the world today. Very difficult for us to understand. And Paul is saying, have you experienced, have you suffered so much for nothing? Surely it wasn't in vain, was it? I've told you it's by faith in Christ, but now you're reverting back to works? Go figure. And he summarizes what he says in, in verse 5. I ask you again, does God give you the Holy Spirit and work miracles among you because you obey the law? Of course not. Does 1 plus 1 equal 3? No. Of course not. It's because you believe the message you heard about Christ. See, they had heard about God's miracles, they had experienced God's miracles, but the greatest miracle of all was when their eyes were open and they saw themselves as sinners and they trusted Christ. They trusted Christ to save them and then they experienced the power of the Holy Spirit specifically in their lives. And Paul is saying, do you think that the Holy Spirit comes to those that have it all together? No. Do you think that the Holy Spirit comes to those that have reached a level of, of acceptance by their own efforts? No. No, the truth is that we are all sinners 
And the Holy Spirit comes on those who believe. In our doctrinal statement at Heritage Online, you can read it. This is what we say about man, that we believe that man was created in the image of God to have fellowship with him. But because, but, be, but he became alienated from that relationship with God through sinful disobedience. And as a result, man is totally incapable of coming back to, into a right relationship with God by our own effort. We are only made right or justified by trusting Christ. One of the questions I, I hear from time to time is how can a person know that they're saved? It was John that wrote in 1 John 5, 13, these things have I written so that you may know that you have eternal life. Why? How? Written what? This is what it says in verse 12 of that same, of that same chapter. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have God's Son does not have life. Life and the Holy Spirit seals our lives, and we, if we are saved, you know it. See, if you're a believer in Christ, you know it. The Holy Spirit has already, he's already put that in your heart. You know that. You know whether or not you have been sealed. The Holy Spirit has already placed that in your heart. And if you've trusted Christ, you know whether or not you're saved. And John wrote it. And he said, listen, I've written you these things. I've written what I've written so that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is it. And the confirmation of our salvation is that there is evidence of God working in our lives. If you're a believer, if you're a Christ follower, there should be evidence of Christ working in your life. Is God changing your heart? I heard a great testimony this week. This guy said, man, listen, and I fell to my knees and I realized that I was sinful and I was broken and my life has never been the same since. You can't come to Jesus and stay the same. If you're still the same, something's wrong. Maybe you felt sorry for what you did, but maybe you've never repented. That's probably what took place. Sometimes we feel sorry for the consequences of our sin, but there's no repentance. There's no turning and moving in the opposite direction. Anthony, what happened in your life? When you came to know Christ, what took place? Radical change. There was a change. There was a radical change in your life. There was a radical change in your life that took place. Has there been a change in your life? Or are you still just the same person holding on to God? Has there been a change in your life? Is God changing your heart? Are you sensitive to the things of the Lord? How is your relationships with other people? Let me ask you this question. What decisions have you made over the past week that reflect the Holy Spirit's work in your life? Does sin bother you? Does sin bother you? When you do something wrong, does it bother you? If not, Houston, we've got a big problem. 
If you're a believer, if you're a Christ follower, you know that because the Holy Spirit has indwelled within you and He gives you that confidence. Are there times of questioning? Yes, there's times of questioning. And that's why you have God's Word, to go back to find the truth, to dwell into it, to delve into it and to, and to see what it has to say. But my question is, are you becoming more Christ-like or are you just sitting still, enjoying church on Sunday morning? Are you becoming more Christ-like? Are you concerned about the people around you that don't know the Lord? Man, when you go to work, do you sit down and you, do you scan the audience of the people that you're with? And do you, do you say, Lord, how, how do I use my business as my ministry? See, going to Poland's great. Man, that's awesome. It looks good. It's fun. And you're going to meet the new people and you're going to see a different culture. But are you practicing that in the workplace? Are you harboring bitterness in your heart? Are you convicted? If, are, you, are you convicted when you sin? Does the things that break God's heart break your heart? And Paul says to the Galatians, you know what I'm saying is true because you received the Holy Spirit to begin with because of your faith and your trust in Christ. You know what I'm saying is true because of your personal experience. See, that's what you guys will take to, to Poland is you'll take your personal experience. That's powerful. Your personal testimony is a powerful tool to telling others about Christ. And look at verses 6 through 9 as he brings the next witness to the stand. Abraham, read this with me. In the same way, Abraham believed God and God counted him as righteous. That's a fancy word, righteous for being right with God. Because of his works. Is that what it says? No, he counted, he counted him righteous because of his faith. The real children of Abraham them are, um, then are those who put their faith in God. What's more, the scriptures look forward to this time when God would declare the Gentiles to be righteous because of their faith. God proclaimed this good news to Abraham a long time ago when he said, all nations will be blessed through you. So all who put their faith in Christ share the same blessing Abraham received because of his faith. And so Abraham comes to the witness stand. Paul brings him into the conversation. And I wonder why Paul would do that. And you know why Paul would do that? It's because Abraham was the one that God, um, he was the father of their uh, Jewish faith. He was their hero. Uh, and the Jews believed that they, if they were descended of Abraham, they were okay. I'm part of God's chosen people. I'm okay with God. And so they rested in this descendant uh, of an Abraham position. I'm a descendant of Abraham. I'm in good shape. They also believed that, that, uh, and knew that Abraham was the one that God came down to and made the covenant with and agreement with about being God's chosen people. And so Paul says, hey, I want you to understand that Abraham was made right because of his works. No. Why was he made right with God? Because of his what? His faith. His faith. And it was his belief that made him righteous. It was his faith that made him righteous, that made him right before God. And in Genesis chapter 15, verse 6, it tells us that. It wasn't who Abraham was. It wasn't for the fact that he had been circumcised. It wasn't for the fact that he obeyed the laws because they hadn't even been given yet. And Paul is saying that Abraham was made right with God because of what he believed. His faith. 
This is the same guy that gets up in the middle of the night and goes to a place that he doesn't know. God says go. You know what he does? He goes by faith. He picked up and he left. What would your spouse tell you? Honey, we're leaving tonight. God said go. You'd say no. I'm not doing that. How many times have you felt or sensed as a Christ follower that God wants you to do something and instead of saying, I'll go, you say no. And you come up with all these excuses, but God, I got these bills. But God, do you know how inconvenient that'll be on our family? People will think I'm crazy. What do you mean sell my house and go to the mission field? What do you mean take somebody out to lunch and talk to them? I was talking to somebody this past week and they said, man, the Lord has laid somebody on my heart. I feel like I just need to call them. You better call them. Better call them because if God's laid them on your heart, you need to call them. Don't let it slip by. There's a reason for that. There's a reason for it. And just because you're Jewish doesn't make you right with God. The promise was salvation wouldn't just be for the Jews, but it would be for all nations, the Jews and the Gentiles. And Paul said the Scripture that we believe told us that this day was coming. The Scripture said that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, and He announced it to Abraham when He said this in Genesis 12, 3. All nations will be blessed through you. All nations. So here you are trying to live your life, trying to get right with God. And you think that you're right with God because you go to church. Maybe you think you've got a right relationship with God because you've been dunked in some, in some religious water. Maybe that's it. You know, we'll have baptism next week and it'll be an exciting time. But baptism doesn't save you. It's just an outward expression of the fact that I have identified with Christ. I believe. I trust in what Scripture has to say about Jesus. I want to follow Christ. But maybe you trust in your baptism. It doesn't save you. Maybe it's because you give. Maybe it's because you give you your time. Maybe it's because you give you your finances. But listen, these things don't make us right with God. It just doesn't do it. The only thing that makes us right with God is our works. No. It's our faith. It's our trust in Christ. Our trust. And so we find Abraham's testimony of that being saying Jewish doesn't make us right with God. Neither will being good make us right. But it's only through faith. Only through faith. Then Paul calls to the stand the third witness. Moses. We say it's Moses, but it's really the Mosaic Law. And he's going to use the Mosaic Law here in his argument as he talks about salvation through faith and the superiority of the gospel. The, here it was that God gave Moses uh, the law through Moses for the nation of Israel, um, the Mosaic Law. And read with me there in verse 10 through 14. But those who depend on the law to make them right with God are under his curse. For the Scriptures say, I love it when it says for the Scriptures say, because you know what? You know what they're doing? They're quoting what? Scripture. For the scriptures say, and he quotes scripture, he didn't say, well, this is what I think or this is what I feel, but this is what God's word has to say. The scriptures say, God's word says, cursed is everyone who does not observe and obey all the commands that are written in God's book of the law. So it's clear that no one can be made right with God by trying to keep the law. For the scriptures say, here it is again, it is through faith that a righteous person has life. 
This way of faith is very different from the way of the law, which says it is through obeying the law that a person has life. Two things, way of faith, way of the law. Verse 13, but Christ has rescued us from the curse pronounced by the law. When he was hung on the cross, he took it upon himself, the curse for our wrongdoing, for it was written in the scriptures. Here it is again, another passage. Cursed is everyone who hung on a tree. Verse 14, though Christ Jesus, God has blessed the Gentiles with the same blessing he promised Abraham, so that we who are believers might receive the promised Holy Spirit through faith. So here's Paul bringing to the witness stand now the law. Because the Jewish people believed, hey, we're okay because the law, we're obedient to the law. We're good. God gave us the law. We're special. And look at what it says there in verse 10. It says, many, means many of you are trying to get right with God by obeying the law, following rules by trying to be good people. But he says, if you're trying to do that, you're under the curse. Under the curse. It means that you're exposing yourself to God's judgment. That if you're going to live by the law, you're going to expose yourself to the consequences of the law. And the consequences of breaking the law was what? It was death. It was death. Not physical death, but also, uh, not only physical death, but also separation from God. So Paul says, hey, listen, if you're going to try to get right with God by obeying the law, then you got to do it all. You got to follow through with it. You have to do all that it says. All those 613 or so laws, you got to do every one of them. And don't you dare miss a beat. Don't you dare miss a beat. And in Deuteronomy 27, 26, it says, Cursed is everyone who does not observe and obey all the commands. All the commands that are written in God's book of the law. See, the law was given to the Israelites as they were getting ready to enter into the promised land. That's what it was. And these curses weren't given as threats, but they were God's reminders that there is consequences to sin. And con contrary to what the Judaizers said, the law couldn't save. The only thing the law would do was condemn them to death. Because if you broke one, you were in violation of breaking all of them. If you're one pound overweight, you're overweight. Isn't that right, Lori? One pound overweight, you're overweight. If you're one dollar in debt, you're in debt. If you break one law, you're a sinner. You're a lawbreaker. That's exactly right. You're a lawbreaker. And in James 2.10 it says, it says, if you've broken one, you've broken them all. For the person who keeps all the laws except one, James says, is guilty as a person who has broken all of God's law. For all of us are sinners and all of us have fallen short. Look around at the person next to you and just say, you're a sinner just like I am. You're a sinner just like I am. We all have sinned. And this wasn't an attempt to keep us from trying to obey the law, but it was a statement of fact that if you broke one, you'd broken them all. You're a sinner. And look what Paul goes on to say in verse 11. So it is clear that no one can be made right with God by trying to keep the law. For the scriptures say, here it is again. He's going back to the scripture. It is through faith that a righteous person has life. And see, the way of faith is so different than the way of the law. 
which says it is through obeying the law that a person has life. Here it is again, law, faith, law, faith. You know the difference between Christianity and every other religion in the world? It's two words, do versus done. I can do something to make me right with God. Christianity says it's been done. The price was paid once for all on Calvary 2,000 years ago. You have to earn your way is what some say. It's all about your own merit, trying to earn God's acceptance and trying to earn our way into heaven. The problem with faith by works is that when have you done enough to be saved? See, it would seem to me that if our God is a good God, and if salvation was by works and by doing something, that he would have given us some type of an indicator to tell us how much we should do so that we would be okay. Are you with me? But he didn't do that. He didn't do that. With Christianity, it's about being done, that Christ has paid the price. And look at verse 13. But Christ has rescued, he has redeemed, he has brought us back from the curse of death pronounced by the law. When he hung on the cross, he took upon himself the curse for wrongdoing. For it is written in the scriptures, here it is again, you underline it. Cursed is everyone who hung on a tree. When Jesus died for us, he just didn't die to pay the penalty of sin, but he became sin. The one who knew no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus experienced the wrath of God for us. Jesus became the curse of sin so that we might become the righteousness of God is what Scripture says. And isn't that worth worshiping Him for eternity? Think about that. I know it's difficult for us to even put our arms around that, but one day we'll understand it. And he says in verse 14, Though Christ, through Christ Jesus, God has blessed the Gentiles with the same blessing He promised to Abraham, so that we who are believers might receive the promised Holy Spirit through faith. And the blessing that God gave Abraham was available to everyone. Who would do as Abraham did? And that was put their faith in God. There's two questions usually I'll ask people as I talk to them about the Lord. Number one, if you were to die today, do you know where you'd spend eternity? Do you, if you were to die today, do you know where you'd spend eternity? Sometimes people say, well, I think so, I hope so. And I say, well, suppose you were to stand before the Lord and he were to ask you today, why should I let you into my kingdom? What would you say to him? You've never heard that question, have you, Sandy? And I have sometimes people will say, well, I'm a pretty good person. I had a lady tell me that this past week. I'm a pretty good person. She goes, I always go to church on Easter, and I always go to church on Christmas. <laughs> I said, I, that is so exciting. I said, how did you come to that conclusion that that is a Christian? She said, well, that's what my mama did. That's what my mama, mama's mama did. That's what my mama's mama's mama did. That's what our family has always done. That was their heritage of faith. That was their heritage of faith. And Paul brings forth the Mosaic law, and he proves that it's no one that gets right with God by obeying the laws, by following rules or doing good deeds. And Paul brings these witnesses, and then he gives the verdict. And this is the verdict, that there's no way to a relationship with God except through 
Jesus Christ. But it's the good news that sets us free. It sets us free. Sets us free. So think about your life. Where are you at? Are you trying to earn God's acceptance? See, maybe you're here today, you're just trying to, you're not here to hear God's voice. You're not here trying to say, okay, God, what are you trying to say to, hear, say to me? Some of you are here today because you need to check the list off. You need to check the list off. Some of you may be here, um, uh, or, or he, here's the thing. Um, some of us value the fact that we don't do certain things. Or we do do certain things, but those things don't save us. He said it's by works that we're saved, right? By how? By faith. By faith. Without Jesus, we can't be good enough. There is nothing good within us. The Bible says that our goodness is as filthy rags. But you're saying, shouldn't I be doing good things? Oh, yes. You should be doing good things but not in an effort to earn your salvation or to earn a relationship with God or to bridge the gap. Because, but your goodness should come out of a relationship with God that is established. It comes out of your faith in Christ. Romans 12:1 says this, and I close, And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all that He's done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice that He will find acceptable. This is the truly the way to worship Him. See, good works are not a condition of salvation, but they're the fruit of our relationship because it's all about Christ. It's all about Christ. The story says that back in 1830s or so, there was a guy that had robbed uh, the U.S. Postal Service at that time, early on, the U.S. Mail. And as a result of that uh, crime, he was punished to be hanged. But for some reason, the president at that time, Andrew Jackson, Andrew Jackson pardoned him. Um, but the guy refused to accept the pardon. Get a load of that. The guy, he's offered a pardon and he refuses it. Well, the matter goes to the chief justice and this is what was his conclusion. He must be executed just as designed. He said, a pardon is a slip of paper, the value of which is determined by the acceptance of a person to be pardoned. If it is refused, it is no pardon. George Wilson must be hanged. And that's exactly what Jesus did for us. For 2,000 years ago, he offered us a pardon through his son. But just like the case of George Wilson, the value of the pardon is determined by the acceptance of the person that is pardoned. If it is refused, there is no pardon. Have you ever trusted Christ? It's a gift. It's given freely. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him would not perish but have eternal life. For by grace are we saved through faith, not of works, lest any one of us can brag about it. Doesn't happen that way. It's through faith. 
It's not through your actions. Our actions are a result of the relationship we have with Christ. That doesn't bridge the gap. Man, God, separation. The only thing that bridges the gap is faith in Christ. Have you trusted Him? Do you believe? If not, why? Why? Would you pray with me? Father, thank you that your word speaks very clearly. For by grace, for by grace, God's grace. There may be people here, Lord, that if have been on the rat race of trying to run and to put the pieces of the puzzle together, trying to earn their, your favor. But we don't earn your favor. Father, you loved us enough that you planned in advance because you knew that we were sinners. And you knew that the law couldn't save us. It would only reveal our sin. If there's someone here that's never trusted Christ, even today, would you bring them to that place that they see their sinfulness and they're broken and they say God would you forgive me I need you if that person's here today Lord I pray that they would come to you admitting that sin confessing that sin and believing that Jesus Christ uh, was crucified on a cross and that he died specifically in my place that he became sin who knew no sin that I might, recome, I might become the righteousness of God and if they're here today, would it even be that this morning they would say, I choose to trust Christ. For those, of us, for those of us that are believers that are here today, Father, my challenge is this. If we believe, if we believe, there should be evidence of that belief in how we're living. We should be different. Because we are foreigners living in this land. This is not our final resting place. We're odd. The Bible uses the word peculiar. We're peculiar people living in this place. May we act in such a way. For the person that doesn't know Christ, would they come and see me this morning and say, I want to trust Christ. For those of us that are believers, may we walk out these doors today challenged to live for you. Not so that we can be more saved, but, Father, so that we can demonstrate our faith in Christ. Help us this week as we go out. Father, thank you for your greatness, and I thank you for what you specifically did for me because I, like Paul, was a sinner of the worst. The worst of all. Thank you, Father, for saving me. Send us out into the world to make a difference in which we live by sharing the true gospel of Jesus Christ. In your name we pray. Amen.